everyone. Welcome to NKBA Live, Brave New Business. I'm Bill Darcy. I hope you and your families and colleagues are faring well. And if you're in a part of the country that has begun to reopen, I hope you're staying safe. Today, our discussion is leadership in times of disruption. To say we are in a time of disruption is an understatement. Uh, what's going on in the world is unsettling from the health crisis and resulting devastation to the economy and the struggles for racial equality. The NKBA doesn't have the answers, but what we attempt to do here with Brave New Business is bring you a platform for conversation and inspire you to carry that forward with your colleagues, your community, and even your family. Disruption means change. Change is inevitable and many times good and is often necessary. For instance, think about the change from a largely analog to digital one. It was jarring for many, painful for some, and meant skill sets needed to change and people needed to adapt. There are many examples of positive disruption throughout history. It could be a, a global societal change like the transition from horse and buggy to the automobile, to the fact that we now say Google it for to find information that we need. It can also be change in a company culture to say remote work environments, such as what's happening now to many organizations, for some quite suddenly in the past three months. The trick is to manage these changes in positive ways to help ensure a smooth transition that's well, potentially less disruptive. Today, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the midst of two extraordinary disruptive events, the global pandemic and the struggles for racial equality. I'm happy to welcome two individuals who are both disruptors of the business models in their sectors and strong advocates for diversity in our industry. Gene Brownhill, an architect and founder of Sweeten.com, which streamlines the renovation process. And Alex Capasolatro, co-founder and CEO of Josh.ai, a voice-controlled home automation system for the connected home. We hope that today's discussion will help guide leaders in our industry and inspire transformation in the way we are operating in times of challenges and how we can be the catalysts for the changes that need to happen. As always, just a little housekeeping, this online forum qualifies for a half CEU credit for NKBA certified members. I also like to thank Svetlana Treyskena, a 2020 design competition winner for the first place in small contemporary kitchens whose winning design you see behind me today. And a quick shout out to our Brave New Business uh, partner, Leanne Newman and Flying Camel, who celebrated their 25 years in business this week. We should have some time for questions at the end, so please type those in the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen, not the chat, please. As leaders, we need to step up and embrace change, whether it's part of our own organic business plan or if it's thrust upon us, and ensure our teams feel confident in our vision and that we'll all grow and thrive together. So Gene, let's start with you. For those who might not be familiar, Sweeten is a home renovation service that matches every project with vetted general contractors. They offer guidance, financial protection, and a suite of online tools at no cost to the homeowner. For contractors, you only pay when you win a project through their platform. And they currently serve the New York City tri-state area, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, Atlanta, and Nashville, with 10 other cities launching later this year. As a female African-American architect starting up a tech firm in the construction industry, Wow, Gene, you are inspiring in a multitude of ways. I'd like to know about your perception of risk when you founded Sweeten and what have you learned 
about overcoming those challenges. I almost did the the faux pas, the Zoom faux pas, and spoke while I was it on happened. mute. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm I'm definitely very excited to be connected today. It looks like we have almost 200 people watching mm. online. This is really exciting to be able, especially in this moment, um, to share a little bit of my story with all of you today. So, um, as you mentioned, I mm. am. Uh, an African-American female founder of a tech company that is focused in construction. So I definitely have um, faced my fair share of challenges, both in this current time, but just in general in my path um, forward. And you know, I think, you know, one, one thing I think what we're all learning, and I certainly have known, is that the, the only thing that you need to be good at really is, is navigating change, as you said, Bill. That is like the core competency that you need as a professional because things are just constantly changing. And the sooner that you accept that, the more successful that you will be. So that's number one. And, you know, my experience has been, someone said to me a while ago that entrepreneurs focus on the calculus and not the statistics. And if I would have focused on the statistics, right, I, I would never have done any of this. <laughs> I mean, even just like growing up in New London, Connecticut, as like a little girl who did not come from a very, um, you know, stable household, either economically or otherwise, it just would not have been in my thoughts if I looked at the statistic that I could get to Cooper Union, that I could get to Harvard, that I could one day be successful, you know, <clears throat> raising millions of dollars of venture capital. If I look at the statistics, I would have definitely just stayed in bed. <laughs> but I didn't. What I did is I looked at everything as just a problem that had an answer and that I was convinced that I could solve it. And I did that over and over and over again. And that's what we've done in our business. And that's what we continue to do as we navigate this, you know, really unprecedented time. You know, I, I do talk to my kids about, and they say, not what do you want to be when you grow up, but it's what problem do you want to solve? And it's it that context that you bring is, is, is very interesting. So Alex, uh, Josh AI is a voice-controlled home automation system for the connected residential environment. You started the company about five years ago, and even though other voice assistant systems weren't yet in, say, wide use, you now find yourself competing with the likes of Apple, Amazon, and Google. Please give us a little background on what inspired you to start this business and what makes Josh AI different. Sure, sounds good. Thanks, Bill, and it's great to be here. You know, we've got a a very large number of attendees and just excited to take some time with all of you. I'm here at home and I think a lot of us are getting a little stir crazy and these little bits of connection are, are definitely amazing. Um, before I jump into the business really quick, I just want to comment. Um, when we started organizing this panel, I hadn't actually met Jean before and I just did a quick Google search. I was like, what's your company about? You know, what's the background? And one of the first articles was the number of times that she had to meet with investors to raise, uh, I don't know if it was her last funding round, but a funding round, and, and the number was in the hundreds. And I just remember thinking, that's exactly what I told my team as we were you know, passing 100 investors and we've now raised $22 million, but it was a lot of no's, a lot of door slammed, a lot of you know, failure. And, and I just thought, you know, as different of our paths and our businesses, and we're on you know, very different trajectories, there are so many similarities, and I just think 
this is such a perfect title for, for a panel, you know, leadership in the times of disruption, it's all disruption. That, that's what we do as business owners, as, as in our cases, Gene and I as technologists. And so my background's a little bit different. I um, dropped out of high school, I moved down to DC and was working for the government when I was 16. I worked for a bunch of different national labs, including two different NASA divisions, and really got my, my hands wet early with innovation and, and trying to really do the impossible. But I found that I was always frustrated with working in government labs where I couldn't talk about the work, I couldn't commercialize it, I really couldn't directly impact people's lives. And when it came to starting this company, it was kind of the perfect storm. I had a really deep technical background. My co-founder equally had a very deep technical background. We were both renovating homes and we just found that the options were very disappointing. Um, they were expensive, they were complicated, they didn't feel like they were offering the experience that we wanted for ourselves. And we just started kind of thinking one day on a, a trip, what would the ideal smart home solution look like? And we realized in the day of AI and machine learning and voice control, none of this was in the home at the time that would transform the experience. And so we really got this business going with the notion of wanting to create a transformational technology that we think will, will not just make people's lives happier, but the home is such an intimate place. You have the ability to increase people's health and wellness, their security, their sense of just you know, comfort around their family. And then we go a step further and we talk about clients that have different disabilities. Voice control is truly a game changer if you're paraplegic or if you're blind. And so our business, similar to what Gene mentioned, is constantly reinventing itself. Bill, you mentioned we're in the residential space and that, that's definitely where we're focused, but we see commercial projects going up all the time because it's the same types of problems. So I'm just super excited to be in a space where design and architecture and technology are all really appreciated. That's great stuff, Alex. So Gene, let's go back to you. We understand you opened up three new markets during the pandemic. How have you been able to do this? Why expand in time of such uncertainty? And what have you learned that you could share with our viewers? Sure. So, you know, it was both um, a tactical decision and a strategic decision. So um, the way our marketplace works, we always are looking for ways that we can support a renovation project through digital tools. But at the end of the day, we are facilitating an offline transaction. There will be a general contractor that comes to your home to renovate your property. Now, will they use our communication tools, our payment tools? Absolutely. Um, but there will be a physical person in your space. And so as markets, you, you name the markets that we're in, New York, LA, Chicago, all of these markets were dramatically affected by COVID-19 and the stay-at-home orders. And so when we saw that our projects, um, you know, at any one time, we have hundreds of projects um, in construction, thousands of projects moving through our pipeline, all of which came to a halt. And we said, you know, we need to one, stabilize ourselves and our business, make sure our employees and our general contractors, our homeowners are safe. Once we stabilize, then we th said, okay, there's a real market opportunity here for us as people are going to be at home more realizing that even when markets are reopening, 
you know, summer vacations are canceled for the most part. People are going to be home and they are thinking about ways in which they can renovate. And so, and they're looking specifically for ways in which they can renovate with minimal um, requirement of face-to-face -face interactions with their general contractor. So we have been thinking about the future of construction for since 2011 when I founded the company. And we feel like this moment, the construction industry has basically fast forwarded about three to five years as far as tech innovation and adoption. And so we were really primed to take advantage of, of it. And so we said, okay, let's start opening additional markets. Let's speed up instead of slowing down. Let's really take this opportunity where we have much more broad adoption from our GC base and a lot of homeowners wanting to renovate, you know, to turn their basements into gyms or to turn the third bedroom into a home office. So, you know, again, once we stabilized, we really, we really are just driving towards, you know, what we've always been driving towards, which is growing our business. It's wonderful. So Alex, it's obvious that your leadership has driven your company up a formidable mountain. So when COVID hit, how did you continue to drive your team, keep them positive, uh, servicing your customers and that? It's a great question. And I think similar to what Gene was mentioning, part of what allowed us to, to really sort of uh, succeed during this time is we started a lot of this a long time ago and really just buckled down on a bunch of the things we already were doing. The first of which is we as, as founders, my, my business partner and I, uh, Tim and myself, have always been very, very uh, strong about transparency in the company. And I don't just mean transparency on the business and the economics, but transparency for ourselves as well. And I find that I, I learned a long time ago, the more that we let people into our journeys, our stories, what we're dealing with personally, the more they connect, the more that, that they can empathize with us and, and vice versa. And so when this got started, the first thing that you know we basically just stopped and thought about was how is everyone being affected? How are people feeling? People are going to deal with this differently. And unfortunately, it's not a one-size-fits-all. We, we're a distributed team. We have folks um, all around the country. That being said, there were a couple things that we just said right, right from the get-go we needed to do. The first thing is we've always done a all-hands, a weekly call over Zoom. And that call allows us to unite. We have primarily a Denver and a Los Angeles team, but then folks in New York and other places too. We basically said, in addition to doing that, we're gonna do a daily uh, sales check-in and a daily uh, engineering check-in, which usually would have happened in the offices anyway, but it gave people the sense of just, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically that, that things weren't all changing. There was some consistency at play. It also gave people some face-to-face -face interaction. The next thing that we did was we actually put on, a, a, we, we built a social committee amongst a couple employees specifically to try to figure out how do we keep people feeling good in these times when there's so much uncertainty? And so we had a um, coronavirus bingo, you know, a sort of virtual bingo. Um, we had a, a show and tell. We're all at home. We've all got, you know, cameras in our rooms. And so we hmm. said, let's just invite people into where we are and do a little show and tell of, you know, a picture behind you or a trophy or something. And, and that really just kind of helped. The thing, though, which, which is really frustrating but also really important was, I was brutally honest from the beginning that we don't know how long this will last. We don't know how deep this is going to cut. We don't know if, you know, six months from now, things are going to be radically, radically different. And so 
almost every week, depending on what's going on, I start our, our company calls, which are very focused on the business, with just a global update, what's happening in the world. I look at what are the trending numbers for coronavirus, are they up, down, or you know, confusing, um, with what's been going on lately with the protests and, and all of that. But again, I think it really comes down to being just honest and being present. And I know we're gonna get into in a second a little bit around just racial diversity and, and what we've done as a company. But one thing that was sort of very natural, but, but also very important for me was, I'm not an expert at any of this stuff. Um, I've gotten just a lot of privilege because of being a white male in technology. It, it certainly has helped a lot but also being a gay man with a, a number of, of interesting sort of backgrounds that don't always fit in, I found that I'm, I'm aware of some of the, the pain and difficulties that folks face and, and kind of go through. And I was asked to be on a podcast, um, not this Monday, but the Monday before, which was, which was the first Monday that the protests were going on. They started over the weekend. And, and by that Monday, the podcast started just asking each person how they're doing. And I was the third or fourth person on the panel and everyone started off saying, I'm doing great, you know, things are going fine. And I just stopped the panel and I said, what are you guys talking about? Do you know what's going on? And over the rest of the week, my industry just seemed to not be listening, not be talking about this. It was almost an attitude of it's not, our, it's, it's not a problem that we want to deal with. And I just said that wasn't that wasn't all right. That's that's not okay. And so I wrote an article. I got up at you know four thirty in the morning and just couldn't sleep. And I, I put together sort of my thoughts on what we as an industry could do. And then I sent it out to a number of people that I respect in the industry, people that work at larger companies like Google and Amazon and Apple, and really just got a lot of feedback because I'm not an expert. Again, like I don't know all the answers but I thought it was important that we put something out that, that starts a conversation. And I knew that starting this conversation wasn't all gonna be good. You know, we, we went in saying, if we lose customers over this, I'm okay with it. Um, I got kicked out of and um, removed from a Facebook group in our industry because I started a conversation that people didn't appreciate. But at the same time, I've had countless people writing in that this conversation needs to happen They've been sharing the article, they've been sharing with their employees. And I do think there's a lot of positive momentum in the right direction, but it's been tough. And the only thing I know how to do is to lead by being honest and being transparent. It's the only way I know how to be. Well, you, you've led us right into talking about this one-two punch, you know, just when things appear to be settling somewhat, maybe a little on the health crisis, the tragedy of George Floyd's death occurred and, and sparking the protests and unrest and as you say, much needed conversation on the inequities rampant throughout our society and our industry. So can you elaborate a little bit more on, on the aggressive approach you've taken on the diversity policy with your company that you've had for some time and, and, and tell us how you back that up? Yeah, and then I, I would love to kick it over to Jean. I'm sure she's got um, a lot of really good insight as well. Um, but for me, you're, you're right. From the very beginning, we set a company, a set of company core values and I recommend if any of you are business owners, do this today. Don't wait. Put together core values that you believe in as a business that are non-negotiable. And the problem with core values is you can't have too many. If, or rather, if you have too many, then none of them really are, are meaningful. Have a small number of core values that you really, really stand behind. And for us, just 
embracing diversity and equality across the board has been a core value of our business. It's what we believe in. And it's what I believe will not just be the right thing for our employees and for our customers, but I think it's the right thing for our business. I think it's the right way to, to really grow the type of business that we want to grow. And so in doing so, we're very vocal about um, putting out our um, you know, hiring kind of policies. We do a lot of blog posts where we try to help the industry and we get involved in different organizations. For example, I'm on the CEDIA board. And so in this, with this in particular, there were things we did such as a whole guideline on how to hire for racial diversity in a field that's not really racially diverse. And we all understand you don't wanna feel like you're sacrificing on quality. No one's saying, I'm gonna hire someone just because of the color of their skin. That isn't a trade-off that you need to make. They're exceptional people across the board and you need to pay attention to how you look for them, how you embrace them, but also creating a welcoming community because let's face it, if you're the only white person, only black person, only gay person, only woman, into uh, that walks into an environment for an interview where everyone is not like you it is not comfortable and there needs to be proactive uh, just approaches from the business's perspective on how to make that more welcoming and 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 more just um in terms of what we did specifically when this happened again i'm not an expert and i certainly have, have made a lot of mistakes but we're just listening and we're trying to be good just global citizens so the first thing was just halted all social media posts that were self-serving. You know, stop posting for the week about our business as usual, about, you know, our product, about the stuff that we usually do, because honestly, it was distracting from the conversation that needed to happen. And then as we understood more, we participated in ways that we thought were meaningful. And so that included Blackout Tuesday, just simply made all of our social pictures just a black image. Um, you know, black square, it's small. These aren't meaningful, or they're meaningful, but they're not major things. They're not difficult things, but these little things add up. And as I've learned more, as I mentioned, I put together this article that I really believed in. And for me, it wasn't enough that I just put it up on our website and call it a day because any of you in marketing know you have to get the word out. So I reached out to some of our industry press. The first one, the one that I, I was hoping for, didn't reply to me. Now, maybe they were busy. I don't know what was going on, but I said, I'm just going to go down, you know, until I get to someone that does. And the second one wrote back saying, we'd love to cover it. You know, this sounds, you know, like an important message that needs to get out there. And when they covered it, I then took that, posted it in a number of places. And then I personally emailed it to all of our customers because I just thought it was important that we shared our message and we didn't just cower behind a banner on the website that most people are never going to see. Well, I tell you what, Alex, thank you um, for the example you've established um, for companies, not only in KMB and tech, but for all entrepreneurs and business leaders. You are a, a, a true leader in the industry, and I thank you for, for sharing all that with us. Um, Gene, you might have a, a little different perspective, but what can you share with us about your experience and your reflections on the current events, and what do we need to do as businesses, leaders, and, and industry to, um, to work together? Yeah, you know, I am, um, as Alex was, was just talking, I was thinking about a number of different things. I'm going to address some of them. You know, one thing I want to point out is that, as Alex was saying, you know, I am also not an expert in 
um, diversity or inclusion policy. What I am is a recipient, a recipient, I have (laughs) received, excuse me, uh, you know, racist and sexist behavior, right? So I can tell you about my experience and I can tell you what I, from that experience, what I have implemented in my own company. Um, But I certainly, there are lots of people who have dedicated their whole careers around diversity and inclusion, and we should be listening to them right now and the tons of research that have been done in in, um, making headway there. So um, the other thing I, I wanted to say is that, you know, I... I have a lot of African-American colleagues that are um, either running companies or very high up at, at different companies, you know, in a different WhatsApps and chats and threads. Um, I will tell you that we, we, and again, I'll speak for myself, I have been incredibly upset by the recent events. And it has made it hard to, to maintain focus on my business. It has been made it hard for me to articulate, even now I'm struggling to articulate why and how it's been so challenging. But what I will say in appreciation for Alex so well articulating the things and the steps that he has taken and, and, and putting and having tough conversations, probably mostly with his other white colleagues that work needs to be done. We feel like we have been doing a lot of it and we are exhausted. And so we are so happy that other people are taking up the mantle. We are so happy that we have allies that are having those tough conversations that are you know, really expressing the tactical changes that need to be made. And if you go back and you look through, if you go back as, as Alex said he already did and, and go back and Google, Uh, some of the articles that I personally have been interviewed on, you know, I've been talking about this stuff for 10 years. (laughs) I've been talking about the fact that black women get 0.06% of venture capital. Do you know the operational load that that puts on me? So the number was 250, Alex. I talked to 250 firms. That's not one meeting. That is all the follow-ups. That is all the emails. That is the pitches to their partners. That is the diligence. I'm sorry to get into like the technical part of venture capital, but that is not just like 250 interactions. Times that by 10. And that is while I still had to run my business. That is while I still had to meet the same milestones and same growth expectations as my colleagues who were raising, you know, their, their multi-million dollar rounds. They were raising them in one or two checks. I was doing it. I didn't, I raised the first $10 million of the $25 million that I've raised in checks that were less than $250,000. That type of operational load is heavy. And so when moments come like this and, and you're, you know, people might look to us for more, more help, more guidance, more wisdom. I really just want to say, you know, maybe look, look at some of the other stuff that I've already said as, as a help. And as far as my personal experience, and then I will say one thing while I have all of these folks who have showrooms and, you know, are also entrepreneurs on the call. 
here are three things that I think are like really just very simple tactical things that you can do. So obviously, as Alex was saying, like look at the people that you've hired, look at the diversity on your own team. If you feel really good about that, um, you know, you can then look at the purveyors. So who are your lawyers? Who are your accountants? Who are the people that you're hiring to help support your business? If you're a showroom, there's a new 15% pledge going around where big companies like Sephora are, um, are committing to giving 15% of their shelf space to African-American owned businesses. So that is something that you can think about. And then the last area of your business or your personal um, philanthropy, you know, just look to see the causes that you're giving to. Are those helping um, to, to uh, support African-Americans in any of the many myriads, education, housing, um, we've seen that there is incredible inequities in so many parts of, of our community that there's lots of places that you can help. Um, so I don't know if that was all helpful or not, but that's... <laughs> Very helpful. I, I, I thank you both for sharing your thoughts and stories because these experiences aren't easy to talk about and you're both incredibly inspiring. So as we kind of come to the, the close, I do would like to go to the, the Q&A, Leanne, and see if we have a couple questions for Alex or Jean. We do, and I think I can speak for everyone who's been listening here today that I actually got just chills listening to both of your answers to that, so thank you very much. And actually, uh, Bill, we've received a lot of questions via email, and um, many of them were for you. So I'm going to pose this question. What is the NKBA doing to foster diversity throughout our industry? Yeah, fair question. Um, we recognize that with uh, the labor shortage, uh, the labor gap and the young people not pursuing careers uh, in our industry, uh, not a lot of interest uh, in these careers, even outside of the skilled trades like electrical, plumbing and carpentry, design, architecture, sales and marketing. So we, we thought we knew why, but we went forward with research and a project that validated you know, those opinions. Awareness is a huge problem. Uh, literally no one is suggesting these careers to kids. And if they don't have a personal connection to someone in the field, like a friend or relative, it, it's just not on their radar. So this, this is the premise behind us initiating uh, NKBA's Next Up program and partnering with uh, the organization Bridgeer to show these high school students like firsthand, there are great career opportunities across the design and remodeling industry. Uh, so the NKBA, um, the Bridger NKBA Career Tour, you know, has hands-on experiences uh, for high schools in underserved communities. Uh, this year already, we reached almost 6,000 kids in Houston um, between January and March. Uh, and more than 90% of those kids came away with positive views on kitchen and bath careers. So. A great start, but it's just the beginning. Uh, interesting, when we surveyed these kids, they told us they love design. They love that design aspect, but they don't know any designers. So, you know, how to relate to that profession. So they didn't know the career existed and they don't know any professionals. So we have a lot of work to do. Our industry needs talent. These kids are interested in our industry. So we have a match, but now we need the spark. And, and the spark, is all of us here, all of our, the NKBA community, all the design and construction industry, reaching out to these kids and bringing them into our kitchen and bath universe. So as, as we expand NKBA, um, the Bridgier Career Tour, 
into other markets. Uh, we're, we're closely with our chapters and we really hope, as I've been saying over and over again, that it's all of our jobs to talk to young people about our industry and how wonderful it is. So people do recognize what uh, opportunities there are. Uh, everyone deserves an opportunity to, uh, to be part of this industry. And it, it's a tragedy when someone gets to the level of a senior in high school and didn't even know what it was. So, um, Bill, can I add, can I add one plug for, um, so there are, uh, a lot of, uh, not, not a lot. You're absolutely right that there is not a huge percentage of African-American designers, architects, um, but there are some. And I, when I was at Harvard, I co-founded the African-American Student Union at the GSD. There is a great list circulating right now of African-American designers in, I think that it's been picked up by um, Lonnie and Dwell, Domino. A lot of folks right now are trying to highlight and surface the African-American designers that are um, working. So definitely, I can talk to you offline too. We'd Please. love to see if we can connect those with that, love that to. incredible opportunity. Love to. Thank you, Jean. Yeah. Land, we have time for one or two more. Um, if we, I think uh, Alex might be a little bit short on time. Um, Alex, if you need to say goodbye, that's fine. Uh, we do have some questions for Jean. If uh, if you want to um, say your goodbyes, if you need to leave. Sure, I, I do have to get running, but do you want to throw one question at me, or um, I'm happy to take one before I get going. Um, sure, there was one. Um, we did put this out to the CD Expo community, so I think we have a few people sitting in on that today. Um, obviously, someone read your article in ResTech today about the tech industry's race problem. And uh, I think this is, I'm reading this person's question. I think we have the same in the kitchen and bath industry. You did mention going out on social media and being an ally. Can you explain what being an ally means? Yeah, so. Um I guess first and foremost, um, amazing companies and amazing organizations have put together really thorough guides on this. Um, I'm actually going to link here in the chat. Let me grab it real quick. Um, but in my article, I, I mentioned that Airbnb has put together a really good um, just allyship uh, sort of guide. And I, I highly recommend looking at this and just kind of going on Google, finding some others. Uh, there's so many great resources out there. But really, mostly what it comes down to is be an ally. So show up, use your voice, use your influence when you have it. If you have a social media following, those are people that are listening to what you're saying. So use your words wisely and, and voice your support. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. If you're able to, there are definitely great causes you can donate money to. But I think the biggest thing is just doing things like this panel right here where you're showing up, you're voicing that you care about this. And the more people that hear that, the more this is going to snowball. Thank you, Alex. Definitely. All right. We have time for one more question for Jean. I think everyone is uh, is still really involved in this Q and A. So, Jean, um, I'm reading this as that from the uh, the author. I'm a showroom owner in a very non-diverse location. Do you think it's worth it for me to go public with a diversity statement, or should I stay quiet? Well, um, as Alex just said, I think that any conversation that you can have, you should have. Now, you can really try to um, 
understand the community that you're in and what would resonate the most. I think with any conversation, you need to start with people where they're at, right? You need to meet them where they're at so that you can have a meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if in your community, you know, again, you can understand what that means. But if you're a showroom owner, I think there's an incredible opportunity to highlight um, products that are um, African-American owned. There's certainly tile companies, light companies. I don't know what type of showroom the person asking the question has, but there are ways. So, so yes, I think that you should do it. And I just think that you should do it in a way that rings true for you and your community so that you can have a meaningful conversation so that you can voice your support. Well, this is I think I'll just read one more statement because I think okay. it will put a smile on everyone's face. Thanks, Jean and Alex. I'm with you. I appreciate you. Rise up, everyone. Love is love. Signed, your anti-racist, feminist, LGBTQ ally. And I thought that was a really nice um, way to end up the Q&A. Wonderful, Leanne. Uh, you know, certainly a wonderful, long overdue conversation. We know we'll be revisiting this, but unfortunately, we have to go for today. So thank you to our panelists, Alex, who had to go, and Jean for your wonderful insights, uh, invaluable information. I hope that the leaders in our community who are listening have found some great inspiration in ways they can continue to motivate their employees and affect positive change despite the challenges all around us. Next week on Brave New Business, my colleague Susie Williford will moderate a panel with Veronica Miller, CEO of one of our partner firms, Modanus Media, a Volker Airlay Managing Director of AMK, the German Kitchen Association, and NKBA designer member Jeremy Parcells, AKBD from Christopher's Kitchen and Bath in Colorado. Timely discussion on the global marketplace and whether it's less or more important than ever. Thanks again to our panel. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. Please follow the NKBA and me on social media for the latest news and updates from the kitchen and bath industry. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.